I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I'm really glad you're here this morning. Thank you. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Hear the word of the Lord. A while ago, G.K. Chesterton said, We have now sunk to a depth at which the restatement of the obvious is the first duty of intelligent men. As we come to these three verses this morning, I want you to listen carefully and remember what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. This morning, I'm going to talk about divorce and remarriage because Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, talk about divorce and remarriage. But I want to begin in this way. I want you to know that I love you. I have many divorced friends. Nobody gets married thinking, you know, I I think divorce is on my horizon. From time to time, as I've preached on the grace of God from the Apostle Paul and the New Testament, I have commented on the difference between infused righteousness, a teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, and imputed righteousness, the gift of righteousness that we get in the free offer of the gospel. And I'll come across a person who was reared in Catholicism, and inevitably they feel uncomfortable. I've had one tell me before, I'll tell you what, Eric, I feel like every time you make a comment on the grace of God in this vein, that you're taking a ball bat and you're hitting my mother with it. That's what it feels like as you talk about that. Well, there's a sense in which, because of marital histories, if you utter the word divorce or utter the word remarriage and look at the scripture, immediately it gets really quiet People have certain responses to those messages. Let's wade into Romans 7, 1 through 3 with a desire to honor our Lord and champion His ideals. These are His ideas and His ideals revealed for our good. Now what he's doing in Romans chapter 7 is he's actually not talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. He's talking about the follower of Jesus' relationship to the law of God. And he just uses an illustration in Romans 7, 1, 2, and 3 of marriage, divorce, and remarriage 
to talk about the believer's relationship to the law. But here we are butted up against Valentine's Day. Here we are wanting to promote everything we can regarding healthy marriages. So I'm going to talk about the analogy. Then if God allows us to be together next week, I'll come back to chapter 7, verses 4, 5, and 6 and talk about how he's using that analogy to help us learn how to live out our faith in Christ and what it means to live in relation to grace, being in slavery to grace and having in our union with Christ, this is next week's message, our identification with his death, having freedom in grace to live as a slave to obedience. That's next week. I want to go three different directions this morning and think about Romans 7, 1, 2, and 3. Eric, why are you doing this? Because God revealed it in these verses. First, where to from here? Where do we go from here? Eric, I've, you know, I, I, I don't know that I conform to the standards of Romans 7, 1, through 3. I want, to, I want to speak to that issue. Secondly, I want to talk about what's true in the open secret. Infidelity is a threat to marriage. And finally, what can we do as a church to honor marriage? We live in quite a day where there are many dispositions taken and even newfound definitions of marriage that are forged today. How can we honor marriage here at Calvary? That's our plan of attack. First, if married, it is God's will for you to be faithful to your vows for the rest of your days. If married... It is God's will for you to be faithful to your vows for the rest of your days. Eric, look, you start reading through the scriptures, I don't know if I conform to the pattern of God's ideal. For the sake of this morning and the future and celebrating the grace of God, if you are married, God has called you to God-honoring devotion and faithfulness to your spouse for all the days that he gives you together. Give yourself with all of your mind. Eric, I was apart from God. Eric, I didn't know him when I experienced this marital history. Eric, I had a dark season of my life when I walked away from things I know I should not have. And and, and here I am. Two background points. First, If we've not gotten to where we are by following God's path, let's resolve to go forward following God's way with all of our might. Again, as I've said, I have a number of friends whom I love who've gone through the sadness of divorce. Most all of them never wanted it. One glory of gospel hope is it comes to us right where we are and walks us out with Jesus Christ right where we need to be. I love that about the grace of God. As you listen to this message this morning, as we open, and thus saith the Lord. Is it not true that God has said this? As you listen this morning, don't beat yourself up. Don't give up. Thank God now that you are sitting in a setting in a church family that values what God has revealed for our good in his book. You are not second class with me. You're a first class recipient of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. I love you. We are for you 
here at Calvary. The second background point is this. Grace is enlivening. And I've been around some strong, godly second marriages. In fact, I've experienced a little bit of a pastoral irony for me. It seems that some second marriages I've been around, this sidebar, this is not an argument. You know, bag your first marriage, get a second marriage, it'll probably be better. That's not the point. But I've been around some very strong second marriages. And it's like, how come strength in life is vividly there? And some folks who uh, uh, just been married once seem to be dull, flat, have long ago ceased to pursue each other with all their might. Grace swallows the past and bids us forward for our Lord. A healthy church can both celebrate grace and stand unwaveringly for God's ideal, and we want to be a healthy church here at Calvary. Now, that's the background. Let's wade into the glories of the text revealed for our good from Romans chapter 7. And here's the self-evident truth. Adultery is a threat when ending one marriage and starting another. Look at 7.3. You remember the background? Exodus 20.14. You shall not commit adultery. Exodus 20.17. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Adultery is a threat to marriage and strikes at the heart of the marriage bond. The marriage covenant the promise made that is then broken. Look at verse 3. It clearly affirms that remarriage, listen clear through, without biblical grounds results in adultery. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Two thoughts underneath this point. Thought number one, there are biblical grounds for divorce. Now, I need to say quickly, good and godly men, better men than me, hold different positions than this. But my convictions have stemmed from wrestling with the text trying to put them all together. Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 34 speak to divorce and remarriage. Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 and 2 speak of divorce and remarriage. My convictions are based on my wrestling with the text. For the exception clause, there's no divorce except For the exception clause in Matthew 5, in Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, to mean anything, it must mean the breaking of a sexual bond releases a person from the obligation of the law of marriage, the covenant of marriage. And remarriage is permissible. The exception word means nothing unless it is assumed that the person who has experienced the breach of the covenant vows, and a sexual bond has been broken, then that person in every other circumstance cannot get a divorce, but then can in that circumstance and is free to remarry. 
Adultery comes into play in both intimacy outside of marriage and in remarriage. The question to ask is this. Are there biblical grounds for divorce? And people who go through marital breakdown need to ask, do I have biblical grounds to consider getting out of this marriage and being free from the law of marriage, the covenant of marriage, and being remarried? Are there biblical grounds for divorce? Persons in those circumstances need to ask that question, as well as officiates, preachers, who are remarrying others. Do these people have biblical grounds to be remarried if they have a previous marital history? Now, the second thought under this point is this. Biblical grounds for divorce are not a command to be divorced. They are permission that gives freedom to get out of the covenant, but not a command that it must be. Permission, but not requirement. Look at verse 2. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. Bound by law. What law? Covenant law in Christian marriage. Permission to be released from the bond of this marriage doesn't equal a requirement to be divorced. Ask Pam and Doug Duty if reconciliation is easy. They head up our REACH Biblical Counseling Ministry. And anyone who's ever got in the throes of a collapsing marital moment and tried to bring about reconciliation will tell you firsthand Some of the hardest work in the world is working at the humility, the repentance, and the death that's required to bring life back to the marriage. And if you don't think reconciliation is hard, think of God who wrote the book on reconciliation and ask if Good Friday cost anything. That's what brought about our reconciliation to him. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That was not a parade It was a path that led inextricably to Calvary, where Jesus Christ died for our sin. That hard work is worth it. Now, it's not possible to unilaterally heal a relationship. If a person is dead bent on getting out, even the most righteous and holy and humble and self putting to death response in the world will not bring back an unwilling partner. But I want you to know, I want to stand around on the great day when you give a report to the Lord how you gave your dead level best to do everything you could to put it together. Reconciliation is the work of God. Some of my fondest pastoral memories through the years have been situations that will go clear to the wall I mean, I've been in situations where there's a breach, there's a breakdown, there's a comprehensive decomposition of the relationship, and it went clear to divorce. Then the Lord began to work. 
And it came back to remarriage. And it's not that every situation is a happily ever after, but whenever there has been reconciliation, even if it didn't get the divorce, it was always thrilling and wonderful to be a part of and to watch that new life so fragile like an orchid beginning to bloom in the beginning, but watch that new life come back and go forward. We're not looking for ways out as followers of Jesus Christ. We're looking at God-glorifying response to the broken experiences we face in life. There is hope in the midst of the darkness of infidelity. And that hope stems from a God who knows all about how to bring about reconciliation. Now, the third point then is this. The church needs to hold marriage in high honor. Think of Hebrews 13.4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. You talk about a pitch away from a cultural norm. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Hear the word of the Lord. It's Valentine's Day. In the course of facing Romans 7, here two days away from Valentine's Day. By the way, are you ready for Valentine's Day? Men, you have little time left. You need to get your plan together now. What do we model in our marriages at Calvary? Do we make it look attractive? Because it is. Do we celebrate life? Along the way in pastoral ministry through the years, I had one lady say this to me. I've seen very few Christian marriages that I would want one like. The comment caught me up short. Are happy marriages the rare exception? Or are they the norm at Calvary Baptist Church? Now, two implications follow Paul's use of this illustration of marriage in Romans 7, 1 through 3. Implication number one, marriage promises are a big deal to God. Are they a big deal to us? Romans 5, 1, be imitators of God. One of the glories of knowing the one true God is he keeps his promises. The gifts and the promises of God are irrevocable. I love that verse. Do you wear your wedding ring? It's an emblem of a promise. It represents the law of covenant marriage. A covenant to keep faith. A token, a reminder. Do you need a reminder? I do. And we wear it on our person. The ancients actually felt like there was some connection anatomically. It's not true, but they they developed this theory that the fourth finger of our left hand bore a connection to our heart. And so in the Christian wedding tradition of one man, one woman, one life, God's ideal, uh, it was thought we put an emblem on that fourth finger because it's connected to the heart. And we remind our heart of these promises that we have made. Our culture is really good at filling our eyes with adultery. That's the word in this text. I had a friend tell me once, Eric, I'll just be real with you. When I see a pretty woman, I want to be with her. 
I mean, Eric, I want to be with her. And we were talking about how to be accountable to each other and how to wrestle down every high thought that throws itself up against the knowledge of God and bring every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. You know, Peter said this in 2 Peter 2.14. They have eyes full of, here's the word again, it's the word here in the text, adultery. Insatiable for sin. When Coach Bill McCartney from the University of Colorado in 1990 launched the uh, Promise Keepers movement with a group of other leaders concerned about husbands and fathers and single men in America, it was a stroke of genius to coin the movement Promise Keepers. Because what is fundamental about God that we understand when we read his book is that he levies promises and he keeps them. And if we're going to be like him, we're going to keep our promises. We're going to maintain our integrity. So a man of God at the heart, a woman of God at her heart is a promise keeper. Is that us? Is that who we are? We keep our promises and our integrity at work. We keep our promises in our marriage and to our marriage vows. We keep our promises as Husbands, our promises as fathers, our promises as friends. Marriage promises are a big deal to God. Now, the second implication is this God's plan is for one man to marry one woman for one life. Look at verse 2. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while she lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. And the same uh, for the married man while his wife lives. Now, Paul's using this analogy as death severs the marriage bond and brings freedom from commitment to the law. So Christians have died to the law in our union with Jesus. That's next week's message. And we've been yoked up by grace to the freedom of submission to our Lord. God values faithfulness between husbands and wives in marriage. Verse 1, did you notice the language? It's binding as long as he lives. The word binding is there. The Christian marriage covenant is binding. In the Book of Common Prayer, the English tradition of Christian marriage is in their service. Remember that line from the vows there? Till death do us part. Eric, where'd they ever get that line? Well, how about Romans 7, 1, 2, and 3? Nothing honors marriage like a commitment unto death. Honor marriage. What he calls in verse 2, the law of marriage. Can we say it like this? It's against the law to be unfaithful to our marriage vows. How are we doing? Is this what we teach our children? Is this what we model? The church needs to hold marriage in high honor. 
are a new generation of young people in and around gospel churches waiting longer to be married out of the absence of joyful, credible models of married life together? Or is it just a culture resistant to commitment? You know the adage, happy wife, happy life? Its cousin is healthy marriages, healthy church. You know what great churches are made of? It's humble men of God who love Jesus and express that by being selfless in their marriage and meeting their wife's needs. You know what great churches are made up of? Wives who see to it that they respect their husband in ever-growing measure. Healthy marriages make for a healthy church. It makes me so thrilled that right now Doug and Pam are finishing uh, the next couple of weeks, uh, uh, seven weeks together in a marriage refresh. Twenty couples have valued that. I love that. I love what that's stirring up. How healthy is our church? How about this? Only as healthy as our marriages. Has it ever dawned upon you that single people that bring so much to the body of Christ want to be a part of a church that has healthy marriages? The questions this morning are pretty straightforward. Am I faithful to my wedding vows? Do I have interests that are budding in relationships outside of my marriage? Do I realize the pleasure God is taking in my pursuit of my wife? Do I sense the affirmation from God in heaven? I mean, the, this is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased stuff. As a woman of God, do you sense the pleasure God is taking in the respect you have for your husband? As you lovingly give yourself to his selfless leadership in your home. Oh, the glory of a Christian home. Do I realize what big play our faithful marriage is getting in heaven? Of course, there are other questions to ask. Do I nurse along a fantasy relationship with another partner? You know, through the years and often in the moment, I was totally clueless and unaware. But I have never preached when I did not preach to someone who was involved in adultery. Are we a church in support of each other's faithfulness in Christian marriage? Is marriage honored here? Our families? Is that honoring modeled at home? What do your kids say about your marriage? One of the fascinating things for me through the years is to have the privilege of working with young people as they headed toward marriage and in premarital counseling. I'd learn all kinds of things about their mom and dad's marriage. <laughs> Things I didn't want to know, but I'd learn anyway. By the way, if I bring your kids up here this morning and interview them about your marriage, if you bring mine up, how would that experience be for us? Hold 
marriage in high honor. It's a bond forged with God and promise. And he gives us grace to fulfill the demands of what he requires. Now let's pray. Father, I pray with Augustine, demand what you will, but supply what you demand. We're all weak. We need the strength of your integrity and promise-keeping. Father, hear us as we pray to you about the ways that you've spoken to our heart even this morning. Lord, thank you for selfless husbands who are pursuing their wives in humility. Thank you, Lord, for responsive wives who are honoring their husbands even as a gift given to their Savior. Thank you for single adults living chaste lives that bring you pleasure, joyfully experiencing the life we share together with Jesus in our congregation. Thank you for what they bring and what they add. Thank you that you hear cries for life and help from those who are going through a flat time or worse, a dark time. And thank you for the power of the resurrection that brings life out of death available to us. And Lord, thank you for Jesus who died on the cross providing the quintessential example of what love looks like and what we are called to in marriage. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, see to it that you respect your husbands. Lord, it's Valentine's Day. But that's more than a celebration with a card. That's a devotion that we can pay in love every day with dollar-cost averaging faithfulness and sacrifice that pays such huge dividends. And a watching world sees the marriage and sees something bigger. Christ loving His bride. Oh Lord, work in our midst this morning. Make Calvary a place where marriage is honored Holiness is championed. And there's every encouragement to go forward in ways that please you. I pray in Jesus' name as I pray that you would help us, even with the substance of these lyrics, to come to the table of our Lord this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.